you are cold, so I will speak fast. Um, right, it's good to see you. Well, well done, you are the faithful, like Herman said, sticking it out in the cold. Um, I, I can promise you it will be warmer next week. Um, we've got the pool ready, as I said, for next week. So, um, yes, I look forward to seeing you again next week. Um, the pool actually is there in preparation if any do, anyone does want to be baptised. Um, we promise we will raise you up again. Um, and you can wear thermals and stuff in there. It will be fine. Uh, but we're going to carry on going through our series in Luke today. Uh, we're going through chapter 14 at the moment. Herman started it last week. And we're looking at where Jesus had been invited to dine with the ruler of the Pharisees. Do you remember that? You could, yes, nod and wave. Good, good, good. Okay, this all comes in a section as well where Jesus uh, is talking about banquets a lot. I'm diving straight in, so you're not sitting in the cold, okay? I'm talking fast. At the end of chapter 13, he was talking about who would be reclining at the table, speaking about the end times when Jesus returns. And last week, Herman looked at where Jesus was healing a man at this um, dinner invite with a man with dropsy, basically bad fluid retention. He's limbs were swollen and stuff and um, Herman was talking about how the uh, religious men of the time had made the Sabbath into this big book of rules of do's and don'ts, things you can and can't do on the Sabbath and actually what Herman was making the point was that Jesus was taking back the Sabbath and turning it back to what it was because the Sabbath was actually made by God for man. And he was making it what it was supposed to be, a blessing. The Sabbath was supposed to be a blessing, not this complicated list of rules. And actually, that you can only find true rest in Jesus, that Jesus is better than the Sabbath. And as we move in through chapter 14, we're going to start from verse 7 today. Jesus starts to teach about humility. So, find your Bibles. We're going to go from verse, chapter 14, verse 7. So, it says this, we're going to go from 7 to 11 in the first section. It says, now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honour, he was saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honour, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And when he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, in your, the heading of your Bible, it will probably say, parable of the wedding feast, but this kind of sounds like wise advice from Jesus. He's talking about table etiquette, surely. But actually what Jesus is talking about is um, teaching us how to be humble. And at the beginning of chapter 14, you remember it says they, they the Pharisees, were watching him carefully. And now Jesus is turning the tables on them because he sees the people jostling for positions of honour at the table. And people are wanting the best place. They're wanting to be near the important people. 
And what follows from Jesus is advice concerning these worldly issues involving pre human preoccupations with honour and shame. And this have, these have eternal ramifications. So rather than seeking kudos from humans, we should be seeking and concentrating on honouring who God seeks to honour. And therefore this has got this kind of parabolic tone, which is the opposite of worldly advice. Um, worldly advice is push for success, make yourself known. But this parable is saying, actually, make yourself humble. Wait for God to exalt you. He starts by saying, don't push for a place of honour. Don't be looking to push yourself forward, to make yourself be great. And these banquets in the ancient world were uh, often an occasion to publicly display the social status. The most important person would be seated closest to the host, and those of least significance would be seated furthest away. That's not the uh, case today. So those of you at the back, you are not of least significance, and uh, those at the front are not the most important. Uh, here Jesus is talking about uh, an event where people aren't assigned specific seats, and they're organising themselves, and people are jostling for position. What Jesus is getting at through this first chunk of verses is a larger principle. It is the counter-intuitive nature of the kingdom of God. And that's why it's important that we understand the meaning of this parable so that we aren't like those guests who are scrambling for position, trying to exalt themselves at the table. And Jesus kind of relays this awkward situation where you've gone and sat next to the host trying to be important and then it says give your place to this person you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place a bit awkward so he advises his audience to take the lowest place so that when their time comes the host will elevate them to a better position receiving public honor he's not talking about reverse psychology here he's not saying no don't do, don't go to the lowest place in order to manipulate others to give you uh into giving you public honour. No, Jesus is encouraging us here to be humble, to not think too highly of ourselves. To be great in the kingdom will be those who humble, one who humbles oneself. For we serve a God, a glorious king, who stooped low to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, who was exalted through the humiliation of the cross. In our day and age, we might not worry much about where we sit at a table at a dinner party, but we have our own ways of demonstrating favour and honour. We might, I think we've actually far surpassed it today. You think about the number of likes or followers you might have on social media, or how we are, we are so uh, concerned of our appearance, or the job we have, or the car we drive, or the neighbourhood we live in, or the friends that we have, how will this appear to others? How will this slot us into the social pecking order? And there's nothing wrong inherently with wanting to do well or succeed, but we run into danger when our hearts begin to crave the honour from others that success will bring. And the antidote to this message that the world sends is that we should always push for success, reach for our own glory, is to actually find your meaning in the sacrificial love of Jesus. The message 
coming from the world sometimes as well, is that you can be anything you want to be, that you mustn't limit yourself. Reach for the stars. I just don't think that sits true. If that was a true message, then what I really want to be is a professional footballer. But I actually have limits that prevent me from doing that. Matt Clark has seen me play football on a Monday night, and he will agree and say yes and amen to that. I, I might want to be a jockey, but six foot four men are not built to be jockeys. But actually, we need to understand the gospel of this great banquet, that we ought to live with a humble gratitude and generosity towards others. We should have an overinflated sense of personal worth. That these people should honour me. Or we live in fear that others will not share our same inflated opinion of ourselves. Humility isn't also thinking too less of ourselves that, you know, I'm a worm, I'm not worthy. No, to be truly humbled, to be truly humble is to have your heart captivated by the way that God has made much of you through his son and saving you by dying on the cross. Then and only then will you be freed from the recognition of others. It's something that we all do battle with. I've never been so cold whilst preaching that my nose is dripping. Um, <clears throat> I'm used to working outside as well. I shouldn't be like this. Anyway, it's something you'll do battle with. I do battle with this. From my, with my background, I left school with no education of any worth mentioning, anything worth mentioning. But God has put me in a town of professional, well-qualified, successful, powerful people. And guess what? I'm the one that's leading the church. It's a constant battle. I have to die to what others will think of me what they will think of me in this role, what they will think of me in this town, because God has put me here and he is shaping me. This is a constantly humbling experience. He's shaping me into the image of his son. I found this quote on uh, humility, on what true biblical humility is. This is from um, one of my favourite authors, Tim Keller. It says this, Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, I'm in this room with these people, does it make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. The blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. True gospel humility means an ego that is not puffed up, but filled up. And this is totally unique. Are we talking about big self-esteem? No. So is it low self-esteem? Certainly not. It's not about self-esteem. Paul simply refuses to play that game in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, I don't care that much about my opinion. And that's the secret. A truly gospel humble person is not a self-hating person or a self-loving person, but a gospel-humble person. The truly gospel-humble person is a self-forgetful person whose ego is just like his or her toes. It just works. It doesn't draw attention to itself. The toes just work. The ego just works. Neither draws attention to itself. 
not thinking too highly of your opinion or of others. And lastly on this, in verse 11, Jesus ends it with everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Because if you go to God and say, I deserve your acceptance, then you will be humbled because he will reject you. And it shows you don't even know what's in your own heart. But if you humbly go to God and say, I deserve your rejection, please forgive me, you will get acceptance. And that's the gospel. Because religion says, look at my good works, look at the person I am, and accept me. But with God, you take the lower seat. You humble yourself, and you will be exalted. That is salvation by grace. Humble yourselves, it says in 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. When you realise your acceptance in Christ, you don't look at your external wealth. You look at the riches you have in heaven. That is so important in a place like Seven Oaks. You can so easily get caught up and sucked up into this. But be humble before him. Accept you need forgiveness. Repent before a holy God. He knows and sees everything you've ever done and ever thought. And then from verse 12, we're moving on. He's addressed, it goes on from addressing the guests to the host. He moves on from beyond worrying about the seats at the table to who we seek to serve as guests at the table. So let's go back to verse 12. We're going to go from verse 12 to 24. And he said also to a man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. They said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I must go and examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said to him, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So Jesus here, through this discourse that we're looking at, he's addressing three people, the guests, the host, and then one particularly smug guest. And he starts his second address by 
um, urging the host uh, to not to invite guests who can repay our kindness. We should not invite friends or relatives or rich neighbours for the repayment will come when they invite us back. So is Jesus saying here that we should never invite friends and family over? Yes, he is. Let's end there and let's pray. Father, thank you for this. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's, this is what we call a Semitic idiom. He, he's saying something to get a point in his language that we may not understand. An idiom is a figurative meaning which is different from the literal meaning. So I did pay some attention at school. Um, another example of this later on is in verse 26, where it says, if you do not hate your own father, mother, wife, and children. Is Jesus saying we should hate our families? No. What he's saying is, in comparison to me, how much you love me so much more that your love for your family looks like hate. So the idiom is that you should actually hate not that you should actually hate your parents, but your love for Jesus should be more than anything else. Are you with me? Do you understand? Great. So when he's saying, don't invite your friends or your rich neighbours, he's not saying don't ever do that, but he's saying don't only do that. For, for your love and forgiving and your desire to help those in need should far outweigh your desire to do nice things for yourself. I don't know about you, but I have often have a desire to do nice things for myself. Do you have a desire to do nice things for yourself? Yes, good. I'm not alone. But when you give out in this life, don't expect a return in this life. If you want your reward now, then you, will, you won't receive it in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For when... For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So true righteousness doesn't look for payback, but is offered free of charge graciously, just as God in Christ has forgiven us free of charge. And Jesus ends his second address with telling us, as he does in Matthew 6, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then there's this man reclining at the table, responds with what he might have thought was just this reflection. Assuming that people like himself will be at that great resurrection. But again, Jesus shocks his audience with his response. Like when he was talking about the narrow door, he says, not all will taste of the banquet. Jesus goes on to tell this parable of how people start to make excuses because they can't come to this banquet. They've bought a field or they've got a yoke of oxen or they've got married. You know, all sorts of excuses of why they can't come. Good reasons. But they're all usual people of good social standing. They cannot come. There's all sorts of reasons making excuses not to make a priority for the invitation of God. But when God invites you into his kingdom, he wants us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to us as well. 
we mustn't have is let worldly concerns impede our devotion to God. Even things like our families. As parents, we can so easily let our kids become the centre of our world. But I don't know about you, but when kids have the world that revolve around them, they're not that much fun to be around. Have you ever seen or come into contact with kids whose world revolve around them? Yeah, they're not much fun. But the cares and riches and pleasures of life can choke the word of God. Nothing should slow you down or get in the way to how you respond to the invitation that Jesus has given you. Not only does he give you eternal life and forgiveness of sins, but he's offering you a place in his worldwide mission of telling the world about him. He's really challenging the Israelites here and those who think they have this assurance of salvation over the next few weeks as well of the verses that we're looking at, but also we have to apply this to us. How many of us let stuff get in the way? We think, well, God wouldn't want me to neglect my career. God wouldn't want me to neglect my family. I'll give him time when I'm less busy. I'll give, when I'm ready, God, I'll come and do that thing you want me to do. I don't think that's what these verses are saying. I don't think that's what Jesus is challenging us with here. Jesus, over this weekend, next, I believe, wants to challenge us. He's not looking for a crowd of people. I don't even believe God is impressed with megachurches. Because I think he's after transformation of the heart. He wants people who will count the cost. We'll look at that next week. He wants people who are willing to empty themselves of pride, who say, I am wretched before a holy God. And you think, well, I'm not that bad, but don't compare yourself to the next person or your neighbour. Compare yourself to God. Saying, I need his forgiveness. I need him to change me from the inside out. And come to him in humility. Be awoken to the world around you that God wants you to see, not climbing the social ladder, to compete with your neighbour. Don't get sucked into this narcissistic world that we are part of, where we must look good. There is great need in the world right now. And there will be more to come. We could so easily, in this current climate, go for self-preservation. I, I make sure I'm okay, make sure I've got enough money, make sure I'm going to be safe and healthy over these next few months. But let's look to our neighbours and our neighbourhood where there is need. Where as a church, where as an individual can we get involved to help the world around us? You know, we can only gather in groups of six outside of this setting. Who can you invite round? Who, the world is starting to lose connection with each other because of this, because of fear of the virus. We are in a unique situation. You know what Gemma was saying about Sammy? Sammy has only just come into the kingdom in the last year. When we're talking about, when we're promoting Alpha, it's not just because we want to get more people on Alpha, because we want to have a successful course. It's because of people like Sammy who have lives changed. She said to Gemma that she felt alone before she came into church. But she knew in that hospital last night that she had an army of people praying for her. She knew that she could speak to people in the hospital wing about the hope that she had. 
That didn't exist before she came to church. This is life-changing. So how can we be light into darkness? How can you make a difference with those that aren't like you, from those that you won't get a thanks from? I've talked before occasionally about some young, um, some young men that Gemma and I tried to look after when we lived in Bury St Edmunds. They had very few social skills, they had no working skills, um, lived on their own, had a tough background, family background. We used to invite them in, we'd cook them dinner, I would teach them how to work, I'd occasionally take them to work when it wasn't too dangerous and they wouldn't hurt themselves. Teaching them life skills and feeding them and teaching them how to cook. Did we ever get any thanks from them? No, we didn't. But we were trying to restore them and trying to give them kingdom principles. But it is so worth it to see what happens. And we need to be like the servant of the master of the house in verse 23 to compel people to come in so that his house will be filled. Who can you speak to about Jesus? Who can you invite to people to hope on the hill, even though it's cold? Tell them to wrap up. This is a really unique situation that you can invite people in. They have to go in their own square, obviously, but that they can come and be part of a community. We still do connect groups, as Herman talked about, online. Not many people outside of our environment have this experience. There is a disconnect going on out there, and they don't have this community that we have. This is a unique opportunity that we have, and we must grab it. And Alpha, as I said, starts this Wednesday. It's because of people like Sammy, that's why we do it. It's because of people like Faye and Christine who are here today. That's why we do it, because they have their lives changed. They get to meet the Almighty God, the living God who loves them, who died for them. It's life-changing. So how can we be generous with our finances, not just to the church and our giving, although we should do that, but to engage in activities that are outward-focused? We need to reflect in our corporate and personal giving a genuine love for those in poverty and need. And there are so many ways that we can get involved in the world around us. And the longer we put off the invitation of God, the harder our hearts become. The longer we make excuses for involvement, for wholehearted discipleship, the further we move away from his promises and his goodness, because he has a better way. So humble yourselves today. Give thanks to him and accept the invitation. Can I invite you to stand and we're going to pray. I told you I'd talk fast and try and finish on time. Why don't you just put your hands out to him? It's just a sign, really, between you and him that you want to meet with him today. I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and convict us and show us where we can be more dedicated to him, where he wants us to go, where he wants us to fill a need around us, where we need to be humble. Where are those people that we need to invite in to dinner, that where we won't get thanks and repaid? Father, we thank you for this day.
We thank you that you love us. Thank you that you um, took the pain and the punishment for us. We don't deserve your grace, Lord, but that is the beauty of it. We don't deserve it, but we receive it anyway. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Help us, Lord. Help us be outward looking. Help us look for those who are the version of the blind and the lame and the poor and the crippled around us, Lord. Help us compel those around us to come into your house. Help us, Lord, see the world around us. Have eyes to see and ears to hear of all that is going on around us. Help us, Lord, cast out fear. Help us keep our eyes upon you, the one who loves us perfectly. Help us not worry about social status. Lord, help us be humble before you. Oh God, we pray. Help us die to the fear of others' opinion. Help us die to our own opinion, oh God, today. I pray that for myself. I pray that for us as a church. Lord Jesus, challenge us, Lord, this week as we consider these verses, as we go into next week and there's even stronger verses to consider, Lord. Help us be challenged by your words. Amen. Amen. Okay, it's just gone five and there endeth the service. It will definitely be warmer next week, so um, you won't need to wrap up, I promise. Uh, thanks for coming. If you could leave swiftly, uh, try not to mix with other groups. Just go to your car and leave. That's the joy of um, being together.